It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody. And welcome to another Upfront Program Thursday edition. And uh, in studio, instead of in Orlando today, is Christopher J. Boulay, Managing Director, Investments with our uh, good friends over at Wells Fargo Advisors. And uh, he's in studio today. He's not here uh, for them. He's here at a private, as a private citizen to talk about the issues of the day. It could be Hunter Biden. It could be uh, Discover and uh, Capital One credit cards. It could be uh, who Trump has on his shortlist and a lot of other, other topics. And it could be topics that you bring up yourself. And uh, before we introduce Chris, I just want to acknowledge an email from yesterday. It came in toward the end of the program from Sandra LaFrance. We'll probably get one from her uh, later in the program anyway. But she, we had Steve D'Agostino sitting here, and she just wanted to say... Uh, Good morning, uh, Mr. D. D'Agostino. As always, my back street was plowed down to the pavement efficiently and quickly this past snowstorm. Maybe this will be the last one of the season, but um, I wouldn't bet on it. I only hope whoever replaces Mr. D'Agostino when he moves on is as an effective public uh, works director like he has been. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that, Sandra. Good morning, Christopher. Jay Boulay, and welcome back uh, to uh, the program in studio. Nice to have you when I can see you face-to-face. <laughs> Good morning, Raj. Good morning, listeners. It's uh, fantastic to be here. Nice to have you here. And the other mechanics that we uh, remind our listeners of, it's a talk show. So, here are the talk show numbers, 769-0600, 766-1380 if you'd like to call. And you can express your opinion via email up front at WNRI.com. Short of that uh, and commercials, um, we'll, um, we'll chatter back and forth on uh, some of the issues on how Chris sees them and uh, whether I agree or maybe see it from a little bit of a different light, being um, a few years or two or three years older than Chris. <laughs> anyway, what, um, what first topic would you like to introduce? Well, since I, I do it for a living, but I'm not here uh, you know, representing Wells, but I do follow the market, and I thought it'd be interesting to, to note that the uh, United States stock market, again, is hitting all-time highs. We talked about uh, approaching 4,000 a short while ago. We talked about approaching 4,500 in the S&P 500. Now we're over 5,000, and it continues to, to do well. We do not know what the future will bring. However, at the very basic and the very core of investing in stocks or really anything else, you're buying a stream of income. And when you invest in a stock, there's a certain stream of income that's expected, and that drives the stock. So right now, without a recommendation, but just mentioning it, you have to is NVIDIA, which is a um, tech company that's very much tied to um, uh, the new technology of artificial intelligence. And they seem to have a moat around them. Their products are in demand. They're increasing astronomical rates. And, of course, you've got the the rule of large numbers. You can't keep doubling your business every every year, but they're doing fantastic, and they are making money. It's a real company, and I kind of juxtaposed that against 2000 when I was in the business, and it was a dot-com, and there were companies out there that were just associating themselves with the dot-com era, and they had no revenue, no real 
business, but yet they had valuations that were incredible. <laughs> so you try to learn from the past, and it's very, very dangerous to say this time is different. But if you look at um, what's driving, they call it the Magnificent Seven, the seven biggest companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, uh, NVIDIA, so on and so forth. Um, they're really driving the market, and they're very dominant. We probably haven't seen dominance like this since the 1900s when you had uh, J.P. Morgan running the banks and you had uh, the Carnegie's running uh, uh, the freights and so on and so forth. It's getting very, very dominant. And with the Internet, it's so easy to leverage yourself. You've got products like Facebook where everyone's using it. You've got products like Twitter and Microsoft and what have you. And that's where it seems to be the gold rush. The 1845 gold rush in California seems to be the internet and continue it and how you can change it. Everyone's trying to get ahead and the buzzword right now is AI. Whether it's going to continue or not, who knows? But it's a fascinating time to be an investment business. It's a fascinating time to be an investor and really a fascinating time to be alive. All right, and you, uh, you, I mean, you just led right right into the topic, uh, the buzzword, AI. Um, before we, um, uh, we're going to talk about that in a second, but uh, we have a caller waiting. Thank you for your patience, and we will get to you in a moment. But um, I have to tell you, Chris, and I hate to throw you a curveball like this, but I'm going to ask you to explain in less than a couple of minutes why um, I, Roger, should be uh, concerned about artificial intelligence but most important of all what the hell is it i mean all we hear is ai ai it is the buzzword i'll agree with you as you just referenced a few seconds ago and uh i know we didn't prepare for uh, you to give a definition uh, <laughs> of this but but uh, you know how, how will it affect it with the, does ai come in on telephone calls uh, um would, uh, um uh, is it going to be in my movies when, when i'm watching television um is it going to show people that i think is them and it's not them i don't i don't know well uh, so or is it all of that is it it really uh, such a wide ranging subject that i should go uh, on a week long seminar to um, nashville or something and uh, <laughs> get some information on it here's christopher boulay well let's take a step back uh, you, we joked about us being close in age we're we're pretty you know we're getting closer right mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um there was a joke there but you you remember when you made phone calls from home and you needed an operator to plug in the phone, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you didn't pick up a line. You had to have somebody connect the phone. And um, so now we don't need um, people to do that. It's automatically done. Now we have cell phones where we can go anywhere and we can actually uh, communicate. We all have cell phones. So what artificial intelligence is, is that it's basic, is replacing mundane human tasks that computers can do so one of the more basic ones is if you go online and you're on your credit card website and maybe five years ago you had to pick up the phone and you got a late charge that was inappropriate and you had to speak to somebody about it now they have chats where you can put in what you're talking about and say, I was received a $29 credit card fee by mistake, and I'm looking to have it waived. Well, what their systems do is they go back, they look at your credit rating, they look at the fact that you probably have never been late, and then they automatically waive it. So you've taken out that human interaction. But what you said in, in uh, asking the question is the next level. 
um, are we going to need actors and actresses in Hollywood or can it be replaced on the screen? We already know at the very basics we have body doubles. Uh, where people aren't doing their own stunts. Very fair, uh, few of them are. So it's going to continue. And I go back to what the uh, UBS CEO said years ago. He said there's going to be fewer jobs in this company, but they're going to be more interesting. And I think that applies to every financial services company out there, is that the mundane tasks are going to be replaced. And the question will become, how is that going to displace people? Um, we talked about McDonald's about a month ago, how a Big Mac meal is like $15, $16 in places. Well, do you really need human beings to make a cheeseburger? That's at a very basic, they're using robotics. When you go to Wendy's and you want a soda, you've got a machine there doing it. So there's a continuation. There's always that danger of how fast is it going to outplace and replace human beings. So that's where it's at. But right now... It's what tasks. I don't have to pay the machine health care. I don't have to give them a 401k. I don't have to do this and do that. So it's all being narrowed. So if I had somebody starting out right now um, in high school, I would say learn AI, learn computers, because that's where it's all going. And uh, before we take our call, as a uh, financial guy, uh, do you see uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, an asset to you and how you're going to be servicing, servicing your clients in the years to come or something to be cautious about, to keep an eye on, or something that um, is not going to really in, impact you much. You're, you're still going to be the same Chris uh, Boulay you were uh, yesterday. It's, um, that's a very interesting question. I think it helps and hurts. Mm -hmm. So the higher net worth people are always going to want human beings to look at everything. The machines can only handle so much. So what they'll probably do is replace portfolio management through algorithms, and there'll be some AI in there. And if that's all you're looking for, then you're, you probably can go in a certain direction with Finet and simplify it. The higher net worth individual is always going to want somebody to go to and, and look at everything holistically. So that's never going to be replaced. And uh, Amy and I talk about this all the time. I think her job as a lawyer, and lawyers in general, are probably the hardest to replace. Um, the, the comment, and I'm not sure he was the first one to say it, but uh, Leo Fontaine told me there's nothing more expensive than a cheap lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's at a level that's going to be very, very hard to replace because of the nuances. So there are certain businesses that are going to be affected by AI not. Surgery, um, cataract surgery, at some point they may not even need a person there. It may be done automatically because the machines can do it. The more sophistication there is, the more the human touch there is, the harder it is for AI to touch. But I think if somebody in my business and the people who run Wells and run other financial institutions are not understanding where it's going to go, they're going to get left behind. If you've spent your lifetime uh, at, a, at a company uh, putting into your 401k and the company's matching it, if they were doing that kind of thing, a, a career... Um, this is, uh, I don't think I want uh, anything but a human being uh, that I can call and say, Chris, uh, you know, uh, can you do this or how's this going along? I mean, I spent my entire life amassing that. And um, 50 years ago, a person like me wouldn't even have had an opportunity to have that kind of wealth. I don't want to, 
I don't think I want a machine managing it. I, I think I want a human being. I don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Well, what, what happens is when it goes haywire, it can, it can go haywire. And when AI is making moves for in the industry, they're, they're, they could all be groupthink. So sometimes you want to zig when everyone else is zagging. So when I do a portfolio review with a client, if they're sophisticated clients, they could have six or seven different money managers. And they might say, you know, five of these people are up. This guy is down. What's going on? And say, well, you don't want a portfolio where they're all up and they're all down at the same time. That's really not diversification. Mm -hmm. So I cannot fathom as a financial advisor where they're going to get ahead. But there's also algorithms right now. Renaissance Capital uh, made a fortune doing it. But then what happened is human beings caught up where their advantage in their moat got replaced. Mm -hmm. But they were up 25% a year for 10 years. And now the technology caught up with them. The human beings caught up with them. So, yeah, you really want to have somebody. It's like Bitcoin. You know, you can invest in Bitcoin, but if you lose the password or it goes down 80%, you know, who are you going to address it with? That's, that's the issue there. This is the Upfront program on WNRI. And uh, thank you, caller, for patiently waiting. We're going to take your, uh, your question or your comment, and then uh, we'll move on to other topics. Hello there. Good morning. I'm addressing you on a subject that I think is very important. Yes. There are senior citizens that have worked later on in life. Mm -hmm. Perhaps their partner ha has passed on. And you always thought you always spoke in person to whoever you're dealing with, not on the phone, and you were safe. We must. Your company and others. I was lucky that something didn't seem right. And I contacted Baby, a, a, a former student who's in the field, and I said, this doesn't look right. Brought him whatever I just had gotten. After, let's say my taxes were done in another tax year, uh, and um, they did a forensic, and they found out my entire portfolio had been compromised. Now, if I hadn't picked up on that, and I always ha hadn't come to my house, there are senior citizens that are being cheated to the nth degree. I would love to see a, um, a department within people like yourself are local, and I always thought I was local, meaning within the state. But I have news for you. They are absolutely, how can I put it, raping senior citizens of their lifelong um, portfolios that they had a certain amount taken out. Mm -hmm. They thought it was safe. People came to the house, the whole nine yards. Well, let's see My what, case yeah. is it with the state now, mm -hmm. but I'm still guaranteed annuities, so you know how guaranteed annuities. You just can't sell them off without taking a whipping. All right, let's see how Mr. Boulay uh, interprets uh, your comments. Appreciate your call, and uh, let's uh, switch the mic back to you. Well, I, I think every major firm that I know of... Um, considers financial elder abuse to be a huge topic. And um, for most firms, they, they encourage to have a trusted contact. Um, I, I know we look for powers of attorney with family members. If I have an older client, it's really great to have their, uh, their child or somebody close to them involved. But I think, I think the industry takes this, I mean, this has come up, you know, half a dozen times over the years uh, here, but um, the industry takes it, in my opinion, very, very seriously. So, um, 
there's, there's a real high level, and, and I don't mean to be derogatory, but if you go to the dealership and you want an SUV, but the salesperson sells you a sedan, there's no, there's no um, issue with that. There's no, there's no um, circumstances there or, or consequences is what I'm looking for. When you're dealing with people's money or, or health, there are consequences, and there's an expectation of know your client. So I find... In my personal opinion, that the direction of major financial institutions is getting more and more careful about the issue that she is bringing up. And it's, it's taken very, very seriously. So um, going back to what I said five, ten minutes ago, the relationship uh, that you have with your advisor, he or she, you know, it's got to be one of trust and mutual respect. And if that's not there, it, it's probably not workable. But... Um, to answer a question, I, I think the major firms that I know of take it very, very seriously and you know, always looking to make sure that they put the client's best interest at heart. And there's something called BI, best interest, which is basically made everyone a fiduciary. From time to time, as I meet new clients, they ask if I'm a fiduciary, and it's almost... Uh, it's almost a given now. You're held to a higher standard, uh, and I think that's a very good thing. I hope that answered the question. I hope so, too. And if you uh, have a question or a comment on the program, you're welcome to call us at 769-0600. You're welcome to email us at upfront at WNRI.com. Roger and Chris, back in a moment. Let's meet for lunch or dinner at the Roast House. Their menu offers something for everyone. Seafood and chicken, roasts, steaks, and chops. Appetizers and their rotation of the heartiest soups in the area. Open Sunday through Thursday, 1130 to 9. Friday and Saturday, 1130 to 10 p.m. Now, here are some of the delicious choices awaiting you at the Roast House. Pastrami sandwich is one of the items on the uh, Roast House uh, luncheon menu with two slices of uh, nice Swiss cheese and Lots of pastrami, of course, and Dijon mustard, only $12 for uh, this Roast House Luncheon Special. Uh, I'll mention another one, half sandwich and a crock of soup for $11. That's another one of the items on the luncheon menu at the Roast House, open at 11.30 this morning. Hope you'll stop into the Roast House and enjoy the good food. All right, let's check in with uh, Wise Guys, uh, because uh, now you can get your favorite desserts there and pastry. Wise Guys Deli just added a patisserie and assorted dessert section that's made fresh. Need a birthday cake or special dessert? Then you need to stop in. Call three days before your event for cakes and custom cupcakes. Offering waffles, pancakes on a stick, assorted magnolia desserts, tartlets, macaroons, fresh donuts, chocolate mousse, strawberry pudding, banana pudding, delicious fudgy brownies, souffles, milkshakes, and ice cream. Cheesecakes and pies will be coming soon. Soon. You need to place an order or questions, call 401-488-4309. Stop in today and enjoy 14 Bound Road. The Wise Guys Patisserie is waiting for you. Hey, did you know that this is the tax season? Just when the holidays are over and I think there's nothing more to think about financially. But then February and March always get me thinking about how i got to get my taxes done, get my finances organized, my receipts, my deductions. And I don't just want to walk into one of those stores because that seems not very personal. So I start thinking about getting my tax return done by a CPA. Yeah, a CPA. Just saying it makes me feel better. They have all those years of experience. Most have a master's in finance or accounting. That's the kind of knowledge I need for my taxes. Yes, I'm going to a CPA this year. That makes me feel a whole lot more relaxed. 
With a CPA, you get a professional with a higher education, more years of training, and a greater breadth of knowledge than the rest of the pack. This tax season, don't trust your finances to anyone less. Hire the best. A CPA. Few prepare as rigorously. Brought to you by Care Kasha, certified public accountants and business consultants. Call 732-8900 for your appointment. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. This is the Thursday edition of the Upfront program. And the uh, co-hosts on Thursday... Roger Bouchard and Christopher Boulay. We're both here in the studio, and we would love to uh, chat with you if you want to chat with us. Or you can uh, send us a communication. And on the other hand, uh, Roger and Chris, it's almost like we're at a, sitting at K's uh, with a, you know, a steak sandwich and, um, and, my, um, and my chicken salad sandwich. And uh, just talking about some of the stuff out there. Like, um, like who could be... Uh, Donald Trump's um, vice presidential uh, sidekick, because whether you like Donald Trump or not, uh, it looks like uh, he's making his way onto that ballot one way or the other, providing the state of New York doesn't take any every last cent from him. I guess those are intertwining uh, issues. Uh, but um, who, who are you seeing out there as uh, uh, real possibilities? Yeah, well, going back to New York State, if um, I think any fear-minded person would say if Donald Trump was not running for president again, this would be a non-issue. And there are people on both sides of the aisle coming to his defense because, you, you, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a real terrible prosecution that, that they're doing. And he'll, he'll fight it, but, um, you know, New York is just crushing itself as people are leaving, like Carl Icahn, you know, moving down to Miami. Um, they're losing billionaires uh, you know, left and right. But Donald Trump was talking about, uh, and he was asked the question, so if he was asked the question, he probably knew it was coming, but he talked about who he would consider as a potential uh, running rate, uh, running mate. And um, he has half a dozen potential ones. He thought about Governor DeSantis, which was something where I kind of thought I thought back to uh, Ronald Reagan and George Bush when George Bush went after Reagan, called it voodoo economics, Reaganomics, and these guys are fighting. And it probably wasn't necessary for uh, Trump to go after DeSantis, but he's considering him. He's considering Tim Scott of South Carolina, who I think very highly of, uh, Ramaswamy, uh, Christy Knoll, um, Brian Donalds of Florida, and Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, who's a Democrat turned independent, that would be an interesting one. Tulsi Gabb is a very, very impressive person. Uh, everything that she said has been very well thought out when I've seen her on Fox and other places. So I, I kind of like all of them. Um, I, I think Tulsi Gabbard would, would, would be a, an excellent choice. Tim Scott. DeSantis, he just, I don't know what he does for, um, for Trump other than having a, a mini Trump uh, who's a lot younger. So they're all interesting people, and um, I really don't have problems with any of them uh, being on the ballot as, a, as somebody who's going to support the president. But not his South Carolina opponent uh, this weekend. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's not that another thing. He's going after her a little too hard, and I don't think he has to. It's, it's almost like you're winning the, the car race and you decide to do donuts and you know just cross the finish line. Um, so I think he, he couldn't help himself, and I, I think less 
of Donald Trump for going after Nikki Haley because he appointed her the ambassador of the United Nations. So if he's saying she's a globalist and she's terrible, she doesn't love the country, well, why did you appoint her? And he hasn't made the case that she's a different person now than she was five years ago. So that's a short memory, and maybe you have to have that in politics, and you have to have a thick skin. But I, I think the president is very wrong to go after her the way he is without making the case that somehow she's changed her positions. Don't make it so personal. Say, uh, Haley used to be this. And these are the ways that she's no longer somebody I'd want. Um, I, I think it's over the top. Staying on Don Trump, some people say it's prosecution. Some people say it's persecution. But anyway, uh, the uh, is it the Attorney General of uh, New York that, uh, or the D, or the district, a, a district attorney, district attorney. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, this uh, when I listen to her speak. She sounds so angry. Uh, I don't know. Of course, if you're a, a Democrat, you're probably saying she's angry because Donald Trump misrepresented himself and she wants, wants to get that money back in the New York State coffers as soon as possible. Or she's angry. Uh, but why is she angry? Is there something in their history that would uh, make her so uh, uh, vindictive toward him, uh, or she just doesn't like him because of who he is, just doesn't like Donald Trump? Well, when you go back to the 2016 election, my understanding is Manhattan was 80 uh, percent Hillary Clinton. He's not well liked there, but she ran on the ability, on the desire to get him. Who does that? Who prejudices themselves and says, I'm going to run for attorney general, district attorney, so I can get so-and-so? Mm -hmm. It's so unfair. There was an article, I think, in the last week or so in, the, in Fox News saying that people are getting tired of the George Soros-backed district attorneys. And my answer to say, that's hogwash. They keep getting them in. They, they've had them in San Francisco. They've had them in Portland. They've had them in St. Louis. They've got them in New York. So I don't believe that, and you can't spin that. People are voting stupidly, and they're like, well, that could be you. You know, they don't realize the violation that happens. And something like this has got to go to a higher court. I don't think uh, Trump is going to write a check for um, for $350 million, whatever it is. I think he's just going to stop this. But they're going to start grabbing his properties. You know, what is this, Russia? It, it, it's so, so awful. Uh, Amy and I have taken a vacation in a couple of months, and we, we had a, a gap in our... Um, in our stay, and uh, part of it was where we're going to stay. There's a Trump uh, hotel. Mm -hmm. Hell, um, she asked me. I said, "Hell yes, I want to stay there and support him." Um, the prices are uh, down a little bit because of it. half the people hate him, but the place is gorgeous, and I'm very excited to uh, to do it. <laughs> so there are people uh, that would not go there because it's a Trump property. Absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and I don't want to be hypocritical if, if Joe Biden owned a hotel in Washington, D.C., um, and I had my choice, which I would, I, I wouldn't stay at, at a Biden hotel either. So I get the animosity, but I'm going to take financial advantage of it because the place is probably worth 40 percent per night than uh, what they're asking. That's a great restaurant over there, but I don't like the owner, so I'm not going to go in. <laughs> I'm not going to go in and have that great, uh, great steak and, uh, and and delicious food because I just don't like them. Uh, I guess there are people that think that way. This is the upfront program, 
And uh, Roger and uh, Chris are talking about uh, the issues of the day. Uh, I, you know, he sends me, Christopher Boulay, sends me um, little nudges of, of information that, that we could talk about. Uh, but I'm not as courteous. I don't send him what I'm going to bring up to him. Uh, I, this is not fair to you, Chris, of course. But I figure you're a smart guy. Uh, so Dan McKee, this governor who a state of Rhode Island, uh, I know that when you made the trip uh, into the studio today, you didn't have to deal with the Washington Bridge. Uh, do you two, do you use two ninety five uh, as your as your um, when, when I come your, to Wasaki, your I'm, weapon? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So you don't. Uh, so you're not really affected by the Washington Bridge, and Amy, your wife. Not affected uh, by uh, the Washington Bridge as far as getting to work is concerned, but maybe some of her clients are, and maybe some of her decisions to go places are determined by this. But this is not what an unpopular, one of the most unpopular governors in the nation needs as a public relations thing. And uh, the only good thing for Dan McKee is it just happened after he got into office and he's got another three years to, to ride it out. I hope he's able to settle this problem within three years. But who needs this kind of, um, shall we say, a breakdown when you're trying to um, manage uh, illegal migrants and make believe that they're not here? <laughs> and when you're uh, trying to uh, manage education uh, and, uh, and scores keep falling, although you make believe that uh, because of higher attendance that they're going up. This is not a, uh, shall we say... Um, uh, sterling administration performance uh, by uh, the governor, even though we, you know, kind of like him because he's a local guy. But, but this has not been a, a good year. What do you think? No, it isn't. So I drive from from East Greenwich to, to Providence pretty much every day. So I see the carnage going on to uh, uh, 195. I just move over a little bit. I either take Point Street or I go to the downtown. But I, I do see it. it. It is terrible. It's terrible in the sense that Rhode Island already has a terrible reputation, um, you know, based on something like the CNBC poll of having the worst infrastructure in the, in the country. And so Gina Raimondo tried to fix it by illegally tolling trucks, which mounted to almost no money. And here we are, the money that they're supposed to be paying for, for the infrastructure doesn't work because the bridge inspections seem to be faulty and we've got a serious issue here. So, yeah, I'm sure this thing keeps them up at night and it's, it's a reminder. It kind of reminds me of Chris Christie when they blocked the lanes and Bridgegate. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought of Chris Christie the same way, although that was more of an intentional thing. Mm -hmm. But we're going to see what happened when what people are saying who are much more knowledgeable about this is impossible for that bridge to have denigrated so fast and passed inspection before. So it, it's going to be an issue. Um, when it comes to a safety issue, it's going to get national attention. It's going to get, you know, United States government attention. And when you get a news blurb about a bridge collapsing and then you look at the New York Post or something, 99.99% of the time it's elsewhere in the world. It's not the United States. We put money back into it. But as everyone knows, the whole interstate highway um, was back in the Eisenhower administration. So you've got some issues here in terms of keeping it up. But, yeah, it, it is problematic because it's a reminder to everybody. Um, as a matter of fact, I've had some clients who actually um, 
went out of their way there on the other side of the bridge and they met Amy and I in Providence uh, and, and we worked we had to work around the schedule of the of the bridge we never had to do that before so it is embarrassing and then it could be criminal if somebody was was not looking at the inspections or was fixing the inspections I don't know if that's the case or not but from what I'm hearing from everyone who's knowledgeable including my friends who are engineers it's virtually an impossibility for the bridge to have you know denigrated so quickly after an inspection saying it was safe all right the problems of dan mckee governor of the state of rhode island and um uh that's uh, like a daily thing i mean when he goes to work in the morning from his cumberland home uh that's uh, that's topic uh, number one although hopefully um they can uh, resolve it in some in some way but it's not going to be a happy resolution there are other topics to uh discuss here on the Upfront program, and if you uh, have one that you would like to discuss with us, you're welcome to send it our way. So, I'd like to talk about credit cards, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a couple in my pocket, and uh, one, uh, I think they're both MasterCards. And this is, um, you know, a rather closed uh, industry. I mean, I can name all the credit cards uh, out there. I can't name all the airlines, um, but... Um, uh, the only thing that there is less of in credit card uh, companies is uh, like Amtrak. It's the only one in the country, so you don't have to worry about uh, um, naming those. But um, we've got Discover, we've got um, MasterCard, and we've got Visa, and we've got American Express. And uh, do we uh, do we have anything else uh, beyond that? What's going on in the in the credit card industry? Because uh, they seem to they seem to make a lot of money out there. I think they do. They, they really do, and obviously, when you go to a restaurant or a high-end restaurant, 99% of the people are using credit cards to close out. Very few people are using cash, and there's really two major players, as you said. There's American, um, there's Visa, MasterCard, to a lesser extent, there's American Express out of that network, and then you've got Discover. So, it was announced uh, this week that Capital One um, is looking to purchase uh, Discover Financial in a $35 billion stock deal, and... The initial response we've received, which is a knee-jerk, dull-wrestle response from, um, um, I, want, I don't want to say Pocahontas, um, Elizabeth Warren, saying that this is bad and it's going to hurt consumers and it's going to enrich shareholders, which, wow, what a terrible thing that is, and it's going to enrich the executives and help the employees. So she's against it. Sherrod Brown, senator, is also against it. And they come out uh, against it. The issue that is here is that Discover Financial is a very distant third between Visa and MasterCard in terms of the credit card processing that they do. So it's really, it used to be like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. You, you had two companies that were running independent doing the same thing, and you have Visa and MasterCard doing the same thing. So I'm sure that the executives, as because this is going to require approval by the United States Justice Department uh, for anti-trade uh, issues, is that this is going to create another competitor, and now maybe a third of the market will be Visa, a third of the market will be MasterCard, and a third of the market will be Discover. And that's what they want to do. The CEO of Capital One, who made himself a billionaire doing great things in banking, is looking at this and saying, we want to take Discover and make it a large player because everyone who runs a business 
um, you have to pay a fee to the credit card company to get paid. And that fee is significant. And if you have a third player, is it actually going to be better for the consumers to have pushing down the credit card fees? But on the other hand, if you have a Capital One credit card and you have a Discover credit card um, and they have a certain credit limit they have in mind, they, they'll probably cut you down as a consumer so you will have less choices. So it's very complicated uh, in terms of how uh, people review it. It's not complicated to me as far as how it's going to be presented, but it's very, very interesting. And I don't know if you wanted me to talk about some of the banks number of banks in the, in the country. Well, yes, because it's really uh, the, the credit card companies are one thing, but um, we don't really deal with MasterCard or Visa per se. We deal with uh, Capital One or we deal with First Bank of Omaha or we, we're dealing with, um, with actually... Um, um, so who's the third party? Is the third party the credit card or is the third party the bank? <laughs> and you... The, the credit card holder. Well, the, the, the credit the credit card is, is the, who's taking the, the risk in the, the payment processing is Visa and Mastercard. Uh -huh. So the banks have a relationship with Visa and Mastercard, but it's actually uh, the banks who make money on late charges and interest. Um, they also take the credit risk with Visa and Mastercard. They, they're just the processor of the payment. So I think Visa and Mastercard, therefore, then are the third party. I mean, they're, they're the ones that let's like Square. When, uh, you know, here at the radio station, we use a company called Square. It's easy for us to uh, process. Uh, but uh, be basically, um, uh, they're just uh, sending the money through, and uh, they're not really uh, a credit card company. They're a third party. Right. And then from the consumer standpoint, <clears throat> if you go to a restaurant, built, built into the cost of the food is the fee that the credit card companies collect, the, the processors. So theoretically... If you have more competition, are those prices going to be pushed down? Because American Express used to be extremely expensive, and I think they still are higher than Visa or MasterCard, but there's some downward pressure on it. So if, if um, Discover comes in, that would be an issue. And the thing about Visa or MasterCard, there's really no moat around the business. There'll be some technology, in my personal opinion out there, that'll make it, they'll push it down further and further and further. Um, Years and years ago, when I first got into the business, if you did an A-share mutual fund as a consumer, you could pay up to 8.5%. It might take you a long time to get your money back. That's been pushed down and pushed down. So competition is better for the consumer. And from a, a layperson who, who's not an expert in credit cards but knows enough about, about how they work and, and, and the interactions, I think I would feel comfortable if I was arguing in front of the Justice Department that this actually would be beneficial to the consumer versus uh, detrimental to having the 12th largest bank in the world, uh, in the country, the 33rd largest bank in the country merge to form the 8th largest bank in the country. So, when do you use your credit card on a $100 bill, a $100 bill somewhere that, that, that you've charged, uh, $3.50, let's say it's a 3.5%, goes to the credit card processor, MasterCard or Visa. So where does Capital One uh, make their money? Uh, they're depending on you not to pay off your bill within 30 days. They, they make their money on the interest, and, and it's big money. <laughs> it, 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 it is big money, and the government's got to be careful about overregulating this because... Um, in the last quarter, credit card delinquencies are, are really creeping up. So this is an easy business when people are paying their bills, but the consumers 
uh, there's not one person. The consumers are, are having issues right now where they probably enjoyed a, a windfall through COVID and, and what have you, weren't spending any money, and they're on their own traveling. But just look at the level of delinquencies. They are, they are going up, and somebody has to cover that. And ultimately, you know, the credit card companies have to pass that down to the other consumers. Yeah, there are two kinds of customers. There's the ones that are paying their bills and paying their interest on their credit card and paying uh, timely. And then there's the group at the other end. Now, that's why, um, that's why you're paying so much, probably. <laughs> We're yeah. going to take a phone call here before we take our break here. This is the Upfront Program. Various topics today. What do you want to talk about? Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, I hear you saying things about Dan McKee, right? And he's the last guy I'm going to defend. But let's face it. You got the car inspections, you got the building inspections, you got the crazy fire safety codes that nobody else has. Um, you're a sanctuary city, you're spending money on all kinds of social experiments. A lot of that falls to the General Assembly. So you know what? It does take a village. The only problem is our village, instead of having a village, it is a village full of idiots. So don't let the General Assembly off the hook, too, either. Not that I'm, you know, Dan McKee is fine, is just one of the idiots, but... He's not alone. I mean, our General Assembly is a bunch of, to, to spray Archie Bunker, dingbats, and everything they do, I, I've seen it year after year. Every time there's a bill that comes up, whether there's a vote on some kind of referendum, everything that costs money passes, everything that makes money fails. So you look at the citizens, too. If no, that's a no. You, you you make a you make an excellent point because you know the the. Uh the John Brands and, and um, Tom Paolinos and Bob Phillips—they're fighting the fight against a lot of a lot of progressives who seem to be hell bent on uh, on on hurting the state. So you, you you make a great point. There's a there's a lot more progressives who are coming in and who don't see the end game where people are going to start leaving. You know, Dan McKee wants to increase the GDP of um, the average. Um, around it by twenty thousand dollars and but if if the wealthy people are leaving that's going to be harder and harder to do so yeah you you raise a real good point when you look and you look at the composition of the general assembly they're getting more and more dangerous and it'd be better off if it was like new hampshire where they where they were only in uh session every other year so you, you make an excellent point and, and let's face it though also i need every citizen out there look in the mirror even Bolton's crazy liberal democrat you're a part of the problem. Stop doing it. Come on. Yeah, it's just not. It's just not Dan McKee. We uh, we certainly understand that. No, thank you so much. We appreciate your call. You're on the upfront program. You're on WNRI, and guess what? You're on a commercial break right now. Right? We're going to pause. Uh, and uh, Scott McGee would like to uh, remind you that he's out there. Scott McGee from the Stearns McGee team is ready. Whether you're buying or selling a home or just curious about the local market conditions, Scott would love to offer his services to you. He knows the local community, both as an agent and a neighbor, and can help you guide through the nuances of the current real estate market. So let Scott work hard for you. Your real estate experience will be memorable and enjoyable. You can reach him directly at 4 one Thank you, Scott McGee, and uh, he was our guest on Tuesday. Interesting program there. Savini's is uh, a restaurant here in Woonsocket, and uh, they are a Don Good restaurant where they uh, do all kinds of different things, 
like, uh, for instance, on Tuesday nights, uh, your bottle of wine uh, that's normally $30 is $15, half price on wine on Tuesday nights. And then Tuesday through Friday, from uh, 4 until 5.30, they have the early bird specials, eleven ninety nine dine-in only, very nice menu. Uh, fresh oysters at Savini's and Ciro's daily from 4 to 6 p.m., just a dollar at the bar. On Sundays at Ciro's and Savini's, 50-cent wings all day, and, and oysters a dollar each uh, all day at both restaurants. And, of course, just the regular Savini's Pomodoro menu. Oh, it's a great menu with a lot of Italian choices. I keep saying my favorite is eggplant parmesan because it is consistently delicious. At Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, Rathbun Street, Woonsocket. Today is Thursday. They'll be open at 4 o'clock today for your convenience. All right, we're going to check in with our friends over at Community Care Alliance. And then uh, we'll uh, we'll be right back with uh, Roger and Chris again. If you are looking to create real and lasting systemic change, our mobile crisis team will be at the front lines, reshaping and redesigning how we respond to people in crisis. My name is Katie Anderson. I'm the vice president of Acute Services for Community Care Alliance. I love working with this team. We are looking for individuals with a diversity of lived experience and educational and professional backgrounds. Please join us. Apply today. Visit communitycareri.org slash careers. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Back to the panel of Roger and Chris. Roger Bouchard, Christopher Boulay. And, um, you know, I begin the program often taking care of, uh, shall we say, mechanics and uh, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and so now it's your turn. Uh, let's say hello to some people and, and take care of a few things. Yeah, a couple of quick shout-outs. Uh, my Uncle Dickie and Aunt Linda, who are regular listeners in North Swiftfield, I wanted to say hi to them. I know they're listening. I wanted to say hi to Deb from CVS and uh, appreciate their uh, support of the show. And I did want to say that we're going to significantly increase the quality of the show next Thursday. Um, <laughs> yes, we are. Miss Amy Stratton from Moon and Stratton, a partner there uh, who's an estate attorney, is going to be our co-host. So there'll be three of us sharing the mic next Thursday. So I'm excited for that. All right. Thank you so very much for uh, those uh, shout outs. And uh, here's a shout out to our audience. Um, we have about six um, minutes to go uh, on the program. So if there's a Something that you would like to uh, say to us, uh, 769-0600 is our telephone number. We'd love to chat with you on any topic uh, that's out there. We have our own topics, too, that uh, we share with you and give you our, quote-unquote, humble opinions on. What do you set to talk about next, Christopher Boulay? Well, this banking merger is an interesting one. Usually banking mergers are not interesting. You've got, and we've, we've got somebody who was the king of it in from Woonsocket, Terry Murray, who, um, you know, built up, you know, fleet into in Bank of America and uh, did an incredible job. But it's really the bigger bank buying the smaller bank, leveraging up and so on and so forth, building assets and all have you. So it got me thinking about the number of banks in the United States. I, there's no chart here that I can show the audience. I want to kind of keep it uh, simple. But right now, in 2023, there's about 4,600 commercial banks in America. In 1920, there were 29,000 banks. 
And then we talked about It's a Wonderful Life, which is the uh, favorite movie of Mr. Poitras. And people, I'm sure, have seen that movie. It's around a gentleman who contemplated suicide on Christmas Eve because of a bank failure that he thought he could prevent. And, you know, it's, it's just a great movie. But in the movie was produced and released in 1947, and it was, it was supposed to be about 1945. And in those years, there was about 13,000 banks in the United States. So again, 1920, 29,000 banks. 1945, 1947, 13,000 banks. And today, 4,600 banks. And it's a biased statement, but I think nobody could disagree that the strongest banking system in the world is, resides in the United States of America. And there will be continued consolidation because there's, there's a lot of value in having size. You know, the four largest banks in the country are J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citi, and Wells Fargo. And then there's a huge drop in, 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 the, in the number of assets. All these banks are all measured by asset size, not by profitability. But I would say that there will be a 1,000 banks in, in 10, 12 years because consolidation just continues to happen. Um, there's no question about it. And you go back to um, Winsocket, Industrial National Bank, I think, turned into Eastland. Eastland turned into uh, Fleet. Fleet turned into Bank of America. You can go back, and there's probably um, 50 permutations in the Bank of America system of banks that were consolidated. So it's something that will probably continue unless something happens that I don't see and foresee. We're going to continue to have fewer and fewer banks in the country. And the bank that I've been doing business with... Uh in the last 20 years, has had five different names, right? <laughs> Not different names. They're different companies. Different companies all, all together. Good morning, Roger and Chris, writes uh, Sandra. Roger is correct? Wow. Uh, well, then let me continue reading. Roger is correct. Uh, Nikki Haley does uh, sound uh, angry. She attacks President Trump every chance she gets. So I don't blame him for defending himself. He is getting hit from all directions, so needs support, in my opinion. She should unite with Trump for the sake of America after she called uh, uh, one of the uh, candidates. Um, uh, is it Rama Skami? Uh, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, I got that one right. Uh, after she called him scum during a debate, she showed her true colors. Never Nikki. In my opinion. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, Sandra. Time for a few more thoughts, uh, maybe topics that we can, um, you know, pick up with Amy next week. Uh, the brother of uh, the president testified before Congress this week saying that his brother was never involved in any of his business dealings. Of course. Um, he, he tried to keep an open mind. And we recognize that the left is persecuting Trump, and you want to keep an open mind is the right persecuting Biden. But if you look at the evidence, it's overwhelming. And James Biden said that, you know, he wanted to keep his distance from his brother, and he never wanted to rely on him. Yet all of the checks that are going to Joe Biden all say loan repayment. So if you want to keep your separation from somebody, borrowing money from them is probably not a good idea. So it, it, it's anybody looking at it is going to say, yeah, th th this doesn't pass the smell test. And I don't know where it's going to go. We've got um, 
less than a year for the, in, the, in the president's um, tenure. Um, I can't imagine, but you don't know, based on the last call we, we received, people hate Trump so much. If it's a repeat of Biden and Trump, there will be people who will bite off their nose despite their face and vote for somebody who has trouble walking upstairs. If you think this program had good content, well, listen next week and it's even going to be better. Roger, Amy, and Chris will be joining you on the Upfront program. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris, as usual. My pleasure. Have a great one, Socket Day. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Socket.